Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And now, from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN Audio, The Axe Files, with your host, David Axelrod. Takembe Mutombo is not just a world-class athlete, but he's a world-class philanthropist, a leader who's made a huge difference in his native country, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and throughout the world to try and alleviate suffering and provide opportunity for people in need. He came to the Institute of Politics at the University of Chicago recently, and I sat down and talked to him about his remarkable journey from his years growing up in Africa to his athletic career to the important work that he's doing today. Dikembe Mutombo, it's really an honor to have you here at the Institute of Politics. It's great to see you again. Um, I have to start uh, with your name. <laughs> I know your friends call you Deke. Everybody knows you as Dikembe Mutombo, but uh, in looking it's at longer this, than that. yes, I know. Tell me, get, tell me your whole name. Oh, it's very simple. It's Dikembe Mutombo, Polondo Mukamba, Dikens Jean-Jacques Wamutombo. Yeah, it just rolls off the tongue. Yeah, it's just only nine names. It's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, which I guess isn't unusual. Uh, you, you you, obviously, you, you come from uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo yes. in Africa. It's not unusual to accumulate. No, mostly when the child is born, your, your parents will try to give you the name of... Uh, Either they give you your father name or grandparents' name or they give you the name of someone who will play a role in the family who's no longer with us. Make sure that that name is still going. So when you are deceased, your name really doesn't go away. It comes back right away to whatever child who's born next in the family. Yeah. And Dikembe, uh, tell me the origins of, of that name. Someone told me that... Uh, <laughs> It means banana? Yeah, it's been a plantain. Um, the plantain is spelled with L, which is the Kembe. Um, I was born, um, I was born, how you say, I, I, was, I was a little bit of a sick child when mm-hmm. I was born. Um, I did face some challenging as a child, as a baby. So I stayed in the hospital for a long time. My mom always, uh, my mom used to remind me about that. And as I was growing up, uh, it was uh, easy. It was very difficult for me to learn how to sit down. Uh, every time they would put me down as a baby, I would fall to my left or fall to my right. And uh, my uncles, uh, who was living uh, with my parents back then, they said, man, what's wrong with the child? It's so fragile like a banana. So, <laughs> and they started pointing up to me, look at this, uh, Rikembe, Rikembe. <laughs> and uh, they forgot my main First name was Jean-Jacques. It's still Jean-Jacques, like my son. But people keep recalling the game. Then I grew up. Uh, yeah, you sure names, did. 
Yes. Uh, you you lived in a uh, you you lived in a, a a very large home. You had a large family and an extended <laughs> family, all under all under one roof. Yes. Uh, you know, um, when you have a, a father who was the only one to go to college to be educated, then his parents uh, died in a young age. He did have a lot of responsibility to try to raise, uh, to help out his four sisters and uh, two brothers. Uh, my dad did face a lot of challenge, and um, he was married. He was only like um, 19 years old, going to his 20, and he just got his first job, and he's trying to go back to college. And uh, next time he knew, he was sent to Europe uh, to go study. Then he came back, and all the family was waiting for him. Uh, he first did a lot of challenges uh, to look after his family. He didn't have no choice. He was, as you as you say, he was an, an educator. Yes. Was a principal of a school. Yes. And then had uh, more responsibility. More responsibility. Yeah. So education was something that was stressed in your house in Kinshasa. Very, which very where you important. Lived. Education had been a big, uh, is a big fundamental foundation of my family. You know, my father always struck the education being only the key of success. Um, in any society, we talk about uh, about our children being educated because we know that education is the only way they can reach the summit. Like the Old Testament say, people perish because of lack of knowledge. So education is still the key, no matter what you want to do in a society. And you and all your siblings went to college. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I always give them a hard time because... Uh, I'm the third in my family after my father and my oldest brother to graduate from college. And so I put myself on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> you, um, and, and you were quite a student. Uh, you, 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 were, uh, you speak, what, nine languages? Yes. And, uh, and you, were, uh, you were into uh, science. I love science. Yeah. Until today. There are... Uh, Maybe that's the reason, one of the reasons why I built a hospital. Because, uh, since a childhood, I always wanted to become a scientist. Um, I was so fascinated by the idea of becoming a doctor, or study biochemistry, or becoming a chemist or a biologist. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to do science. Um, that's why I got the, the scholarship uh, from the USID to come study at Georgetown University. Um, from that, I want to go to to medical school one day and then becoming a doctor, maybe go back to Africa and go treat people. Yeah. Somehow that while I was on campus and being tall as I am, and I was get called by everyone, including John Thompson. and uh, the, the the legendary basketball the legendary, coach at Georgetown. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you something about being as tall as you are. Yes. Uh, you're, you're uh, uh, what, seven foot two? Uh, two, seven two and a quarter. Don't take my. All right. Okay. Down. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I was going to say seven two and a quarter, and then I didn't want to overestimate. So I, all right, seven two and a quarter. Uh, tell me what that was like when you were a kid, uh, because you know, kids are cruel, uh, and you must have felt some of that when you were when you were young. Um, I'm glad you asked this question. I don't think there's a. There's a child who have experienced a bully um, as much as I did in my childhood. Um, I'm still the tallest in my family, the youngest. But to see what I went through as a child, as being skinny as I used to be, 
um, being a seven foot and walking around with a little short and uh, people calling you different type of name. Uh, uh, people tell that uh, I was from a different planet. I was not from here. Um, what made me to be tall? And I, I was being insulted everywhere, even at school. I go back today, I see some of my old teachers who are much older now. Um, they try to hug me, then we go back and try to have that conversation. I was treated on campus uh, as being tall as I am, you know. Every time there was a problem in a class, and every teacher would point a finger to Mutombo and be like, it must be Mutombo. Um, it's very sad. It's very sad. Uh, uh, what was that like was, for you? It was I mean... not easy. It was not easy my childhood. Yeah. It was not easy. And today, uh, people glorify you, clap hands every time they see you, come kiss your feet and they thank you uh, for everything you are doing to the community, things you're doing around the world. Um, people are crying around you. They think you're becoming Moses. And you look back, you say, it's not the same community where I came from that bullied me all my childhood before I went to America and I came back to the editing of myself. When you hear and see stories about other kids being bullied, do you do you identify with them? Of course. Um, I'm so lucky, David, that uh, we didn't have a cell phone. We didn't have an internet when social I was growing media, up. Yeah. Social media. I don't know what kind of pain would I have gone through. Yeah. But I was strong enough, and I think I, a lot got to do with my parents. Mm-hmm. My, my, my brothers used to tell me, oh, don't worry about Dick, let's go, let's go, don't worry about it. And, um, yeah, now one of your brothers uh, uh, took you, it took you yes. out on a basketball court, you want to play soccer, took you out on a basketball court, <laughs> and you fell right over, you fell on yes. your face, that was your first you venture on a basketball. You can see, I still have the mark on today, <laughs> I'm not going away, I got almost 19 stitches, Yeah. my first day. Yeah. So you weren't really, you, when you came to the States, as you point out, you weren't looking for a, a career in basketball. No. I never thought about uh, playing in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, I never even thought about um, going to accomplish what I did. You know, it just happened. And uh, I thank Coach Thompson a lot. Yeah, tell me about him. Uh, you know, John Thompson is a, as I said, a legendary figure. He's not just a legend. He's more than a legend. You know, uh, I didn't Coach know there Thompson, was more than a legend, but uh, Coach Thompson is, uh, to me, is a father figure. Mm-hmm. He played role of a father to me. He guides us. He taught us everything is right for us to succeed, and I think he gave us all the tools of life to make sure that whatever we are going in alive, we can use them to inspire others. And he wants us to be a leader. He wants us to be uh, a role model and example for the generation that will come. And I think uh, not all of us did follow his advice uh, because I will not speak on behalf of every one of us who got a chance to play under the leadership of John Thompson. But I speak on behalf of those who who got a chance to be close to him, who follow him, who follow his mentorship, they have turned out to be very successful. You know, I um, uh, just as we sit here today, the NCAA has uh, made a move to allow players to uh, 
to make money off of their name, their image, their likeness. So you likeness. mean I can go back to Georgia and go Exactly. I was going to suggest <laughs> another tour there. Uh, you, you could do very well. What, what do you think about that? Is that? Is, do you think it's a good idea? Of course. I, I'm a very big advocate about that. Um, it took me a while to kind of come to the conclusion that uh, uh, players who are playing in college, especially big institutions, we, we have to be, be careful here when we talk about um, our athletes need to get paid in colleges. Not all of the colleges you have a fund to fund the scholarship. Not all of the colleges know you have a fund, not just to fund the scholarship, also to pay the athletes because they don't generate no money at all. And there's nobody come. Um, but I think some major institution who are making a lot of profit to these young kids should award them with some benefit. Well, and, and sponsors, I guess, who, you know, who, who use the image of college athletes yes. uh, to, uh, to make money. Yeah, you could have, you, you guys, because, I mean, the truth of the matter is, when you go to a school like Georgetown or others, uh, that is big time sports. That's I mean, you fill time. arenas yes. and you are nationally 000. known. Some of the schools get 30,000. I think why the kids cannot get only a couple hundred dollars uh, to be able, you know, it was very difficult there. For me, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to go back, speak more about Dikemi Mutombo, what I went to in college. Um, it was just difficult to even find the $10 to buy pizza mm -hmm. in college. You know, for some of us who came from a very deep, poor family, uh, there was more example for some of my teammates also came from poor family as well. Uh, but I was lucky. I, at least I did have a cousin who still live in Washington until today. He was a medical doctor who I was able to escape from school and go to his house and ask him even for $100 or $200 a month to have some money on the packet. But some of my teammates didn't have nobody to go ask money to. Mm -hmm. They didn't even have the money to go do their laundry. It's very difficult. And I'm glad that it took almost 50 some or 100 years for NCAA to come out to the conclusion that these kids need at least some money to do their own laundry. There's so many kids in college today, they cannot do even their own laundry yeah. because they just don't have the money. They don't have no money to buy a soap. Yeah, which is when you juxtapose that with the the fact that you step out on the court and there were those 20,000 people, they all paid money to see you play. There are people who are paying money for Georgetown paraphernalia because you had a great basketball team, played with a great Alonzo Morning, and you guys were a great, great team. Thank you. Uh, uh, but... Uh, um, while you were at Georgetown, uh, you also were an, an intern on Capitol Hill. Yes, trying to learn a little bit of politics. <laughs> How'd it go? Uh, how was that experience? You know, I ask you that because um, you came from a country uh, f during that period, it was called Zaire. Yes, that, that was facing that, a lot of political challenge. Yeah. And the yeah. Mobutu regime. Mo Mobutu, General Mobutu was a... Uh, was a dictator essentially. No, he, he was a dictator. Yeah, yeah. So now you come here and you're going, you're on Capitol Hill and you're watching American democracy. And how did they, how did you process that as someone who was coming from the environment you came from? Um, because as a, 
as I was growing up uh, at Georgetown University, I felt like I, I want to becoming a global citizen. You know, I want to learn the politics of the world. I want to be with the people who solve the problem of the world. People who go in their daily life uh, every day discuss about how can we make this world a better place for tomorrow, for our children, for our next generation. And I was lucky and fortunate enough um, to be in the shoes and being blessed to be around a, congress, a congressman, uh, um, Robert oh, Matsui, yeah. uh, from Sacramento, who gave me the opportunity for internship for three years to learn as much as I can about the American uh, problem, also about the global problem. Uh, I think I learned a lot. Uh, it made me understand maybe... Maybe it inspired me to go do what I'm doing today. And I think a lot got to do also to a few things that I learned in a year. Mm -hmm. yeah. And did the, um, you know, I, I have a, you know, I have a, an American perspective, okay? And we like to believe, even with all the problems that we yes. have, that democracy is, is, a, is a wonderful thing because you can express yourself freely. You can... Um, did those things strike you then, or did you say, "Wow, this is this is the way this kind of government works. This is a lot different than what we have there." I think you when can say you, what you want. You can vote. You can. No, one thing about America: you're free to express yourself. You're free to vote. You free. You're free to speak about against your government uh, with uh, no retaliation. Uh, those are the things that uh, was not happening where I came from, and the Mobutu regime. Uh, you say something, you go to jail, or you get thrown to the military. You sent to the military boot camp, uh, as they did to one of my oldest brother. Um, one of your brothers went to a military. Boot yeah, camp. yeah, he, he was sent there. But my father, you have to pay a lot of money from left and right to make sure that uh, he doesn't stay in the military to get him home. Uh, it was very difficult for my parents. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, um, uh. Did you when you were when when Coach Thompson approached you uh, about becoming a basketball player? Did he? At what point did he? He say, scared me first. Yeah, he's a, he was a scary guy. I think there are a lot of referees who could attest to that. Uh, he was a big man himself. Big, very big man, huge. Too. <laughs> so he scared you into playing. Yeah, no, I think it's. I remember. I always remember that first meeting when. He, I was walking to the stairs to his office. All I can hear, the door open before even I got there. And these were these giants coming up from his office with his tower in his shoulder. Hello, Africa. I was like, oh, my God, who's this guy? <laughs> <laughs> but that, I knew, I heard the name, but I didn't know he was that big. Yeah. You know, it's not like every day I see people told me, did he ever tell you, at what point did he say to you, you know, you could make a pretty good living playing this game? Um, I think like the end of my junior year. He, he thought? Yes. Because um, he said, by the end of your senior year, he said you were going to be one of the great uh, yes. NBA players. And how did you, how did you, what did you think about that, this idea? You came to be a scientist. Yes. You came to be a doctor. And now you're a basketball player. And it turns out being a basketball player is a pretty good gig. Yes. Uh, he, he was joking a lot about it. He was always saying that, hey, 
if you messed up, I will send you back to go serve in the Mobutu army. <laughs> so you better do what I'm telling you to do over here. Because <laughs> I want to make you a rich man and I want to make you a good citizen of the world and uh, you're going to be a good basketball player, son. You're such a hard worker. You do better than so many people that I've seen here. So he did believe in me. Um, and plus that uh, he has something special on me. He's just, he really treats me like his own son. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think he treats me different than uh, his own children. So he just gave me such a great love. And when it came time, you got drafted. You were the number four pick, I think, yes, on the to the Denver Nuggets in, in, in 1991. And you played in the in the league. Uh, what 19 years? 18, 18 years. Very long, long 18 time. 18 years. Uh, you played in. Let's see, one, two, three, four, uh, five, five <laughs> different cities. If you count the Knicks, yes, and the Nets uh, uh, separately. Um, and you you became, I think you were the you're the second most prodigious block uh, shot blocker in the history of the NBA, the one uh, one of the top twenty five rebounders in the history uh, of the NBA. I got to ask you because I'm a uh, uh, just a few things about you this. You seem like you're a basketball scholar. Well, I wouldn't exactly <laughs> say that. I just have good researchers, but I am a basketball freak, so I do have to ask you a few questions because I do want to get on to this extraordinary work that you're doing in the world that began even while you were a, a basketball player. But um, uh, uh, first of all, um, I remember the playoffs, uh, I think it was in 97, when the Hawks were playing the Bulls. Yes, we almost got you guys. I know. Almost. I, I, I don't know what happened, but we almost got you guys. <laughs> so I always say I can't talk about these things without bringing up Michael Jordan. Uh, okay, there we go. I know where you're going with that. Let's go. I'm listening. No, 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 no. I want I want you to tell me yeah. about, because I got to watch him for 13 yeah. years here in Chicago. Okay. And, uh, and you always had the feeling when he was on the court, when you were a Chicago fan, that somehow you he were going to win the game. He was special. Michael was special. Um, it was not easy to face Michael on the basketball court. Yeah. He brought such a big challenge to, to your team, to your teammates, to the coaches, to the organization to know that uh, it's not going to be an easy night for you guys. You know, he was one of those guys. Uh, his presence was was bigger than life. And um, not just the size of the crowd that was coming every given night to watch him, but it's more the fear that was going on to so many players high to know that, hey, tonight's going to be a long night. I have to guard this guy. I hope he doesn't get a dunk on me. Uh, <laughs> I hope I don't end up in a sports center. Uh, <laughs> but to me, the game in Mutome was like, this guy is not going to get close to the basket. Everything he's going to do, it better be outside the paint. <laughs> If he tries, he's going to get the finger. That, no, no, no. <laughs> the finger is so, the next thing I want to ask about. Uh, you know, it took Michael seven years to get a chance <laughs> to elevate himself in the presence of the Kemba Mutombo. Uh -huh. And uh, when he did that, it was such a great relief to his life, to his career, <laughs> to say that. 
That was really the turning point for him. Yes, I and he could have said that. <laughs> I did climb on Mamutombo. <laughs> and I always remember when he did that, I think... Um, did he give you the changed, Did I he give it, you the finger? Did he wag his finger at you? Uh, yeah, he did. Uh, <laughs> he got a technical foul. I was the only one that was allowed to do that. When Michael did it, he got a technical foul. And he was not happy about it. Uh, it was, uh, but what is it about him, about uh, you know some of the other great players that you played against that make them different? I, I, I always think, you know, you guys, everyone who plays in the NBA is a great athlete. Yes. But there's something that is more emotional. There's something more about the mentality of a, 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 a player like that. You you were in the elite group. I what think is- because the way he did approach the game was different than everybody. Who play on my L? Michael was coming and said, I'm going to kick your ass. Michael did, excuse me for my French, no. but Michael wait, was wait, not wait. afraid to kick you when he's there on the court. And he... For him, it was win, 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 win. He didn't take a day off. You know, this is a guy who scored more than 60 points after having a flu the night before. Yes, I was at that game. (laughs) I got to tell you this. This is just, I have to share this with you. Go ahead. I went there. My client was the mayor of Salt Lake City. Yes. And she said, I got two tickets for you. Come on out. Uh, Bulls Utah Finals. Yes. Uh, I take a friend. We go out, and the tickets, frankly, weren't that good. Yes. So we go to a broker, and we say, "Here, are these tickets. We'll buy other tickets." Guy says, "I got two tickets, five rows be, uh, in, uh, across from the Bulls bench," and they say fourteen hundred a piece, which was real money for me. Yes, you know? that was a lot and, of money back then. Yes, and I uh, and I. And my friend said, come on, you only are here once, let's do it. I buy the tickets. I'm going up the escalator in the arena, and my wife calls. And I'm already trying to figure out how I explain this to her. And she says, is Michael playing tonight? And I said, what are you talking about, is Michael playing tonight? They just said on the news, he's sick, he might not play. And I'm staring at this ticket, (laughs) thinking, oh, my God. You waste your money. I'm in a deep hole. But I got to see close up and personal this extraordinary thing, which was this guy was clearly sick as a dog. They were giving him fluids. I saw and, that. And, and all putting that. a tower with ice in his head. <laughs> I mean, and then he would, in, in, and then when he gets between the lines, he was a killer. And he then he collapsed at the end. He was a warrior. Uh, yeah. Michael was an animal. Michael, man, he was special. Who were the other players who you would say from your era... Uh, were, you know, in... There in- were so many great players uh, who played my, uh, you know. You have got like uh, Patrick Ewing, or, even though he didn't win a championship with the Knicks by then. He gave the Knicks everything he had for more than Another years. Another Georgetown guy. Yeah. Georgetown guy. Yes. You got David Robinson. Um, you have Akim Olajuwon. All the favorite was uh, Carl Malone. Yeah. And uh, who I consider one of the best power four ever played this game. Yeah. You know, uh, you, you have Sir Charles Barkley. Yes. He, he was like a running train. Uh, anybody who was standing there and followed to him, he would crush you and <laughs> go over you. So. Those first guys uh, were all, they were all big men who big you men. had to d- contend with. Because those are the guys that I have to guard every given night. Yeah. And I have to deal with them. And then you have Michael, who everybody think he was playing outside. 
Like every time you go watch the TV in the middle of the night, you see him dunking on everybody. <laughs> it was not easy. I, I'm glad that uh, I got dunked only one time over my 18 years by Michael Jordan, one time. But a lot of people got their picture taken with Michael all over their head. Yes, a lot of posters. Lot so of posters. the wagging of the finger, uh, how, how did that begin? And, and it became... A thing with the referees that you were yes. you got hit for taunting you had to adjust I lost a lot of money on that too I bet yeah you should have had the crowd pay for it because <laughs> everybody loved it uh, when did that start uh, I think um, in the middle of my rookie year mm-hmm. because I always felt that um, I was the best defense player to play the game I have this ego thing that, uh, that was going on to my mind. That I felt that I was better than everybody defensively. Uh, you were the came, defensive player of the year, sir. Yes, I, I came from a defense mind coach, John Thompson, and uh, I was mentored by Bill Russell. Yes. As I was getting ready to go to the NBA, uh, Bill Russell came and spent a amount of time with me. No not talk, uh, playing basketball, just talking to me about the game and preparing me mentally how to approach the game of basketball and how to go out to becoming one of the most feared basketball players that nobody haven't seen. And uh, every time I would block the shot, I would shake my head. <laughs> and uh, and I thought that maybe people was not getting it. <laughs> so this guy would block the shot and shake his head. No, no, no. I said, I'm about to start going with my finger web. No, 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 in their face. And I started doing it. Um, the fans uh, start going crazy. Uh, start loving it until one day, um, I think it was against Boston. I have like about 10 block shots, uh, like in 30 minutes. And um, Rick Pettino, who was a coach for the Celtics back then, and uh, called the league the next day, complained. As his players was embarrassed, but he came in with Tomba and followed to 20,000. And uh, the commissioner called the next day. He was like, Oh, Dick, uh, I think we made a decision that you need to look the other way when you're doing it. Guys are getting embarrassed. But it took me a long time to try to change my mental approach and to do the finger wave. And in the end, I went back doing it, even though I was paying. Uh, Five hundred thousand dollars a day for a technical file. That was worth it. Bill, it worked out. I didn't have to pay, but <laughs> Bill Bill Russell uh, was. You talk about a guy who he yes. had those same qualities. I mean, what do you win? 10, 11 titles, but eleven championships and yeah. ten finger. Yeah, he always praying his God if he can have another finger so he can put his <laughs> ring. Yeah, he but was he amazing. was he was. Uh, the another he, his numbers weren't as 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 but as a shot blocker yes he was i mean i'm old enough to remember remember him uh and he would he was incredible yeah not just as an athlete but as a person one, he is. one of the great respectable human being we have in the nba yeah. um i think is is what the nba stand for he's one of the great legend we love him yeah and every Every one of the players who play today respect the man to the level that nobody haven't seen. One last thing on your uh, career. Uh, I mentioned you, you, you were on a lot of different, a number of different teams. You were a great player and you uh, 
I mean, once you chose to go and sign with another team, but you you were uh, you were traded. Uh, sometimes you were traded in the middle of the year. Uh, how do you process that? Uh, it's like I'm one of the great players in this league, and now now usually you were being traded to a team that was a contender. Yes. So probably was, but in terms of your life, uh, and it's very difficult. I think um, I'm glad you asked that question. That's something that. Uh, our friends and the public don't see or don't understand about the love of uh, professional athletes who are playing in the NBA to understand what we go through, especially if you have a wife and children. What do you do with them when you get trade? In the middle of the season or in the end of the season or, or two weeks after the school starts, what do you do with the yeah. kids? Um, it's very hard. Uh, first, when I got traded, um, I told my wife that um, you stay with the kids. I'm going to fill it. I'm going to play one year. Then I will see how the things go. Then I will bring you guys to Philadelphia. Then you get there. You bring them. You buy another home. You furnish their home. You put the kids to school. Boom, you get another car. you out. Um, yeah, I think when we got to my my third transfer, I was like, "Honey, you guys are not coming with me no more. You staying here with the kids. I'm gonna keep going because I don't know where am I gonna end up." Um, I think you I ended think, up in Atlanta. No, I went. No, but now your family ended up in Atlanta. Atlanta. Then we went to Atlanta. We was there for four years and a half. Then I get shipped to Philly. Then I was in Philly for a year and after that, oh, I got shipped see. by New Jersey. Then I was in New Jersey for one year, I got shipped to New York. And I was in New York for one year. Oh, I was like, it kind of yeah. is a lot. And if you cannot, the way you have to find a peace with your families to end up loving one of the cities that you go to. And you say, maybe I like this city a lot. And my family and I will live here. Because if you keep moving the kids the way I see something, it can have a lot of effects, social yeah, effects sure. with your children. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's very tough. So you're not only one of the great ball players of all time, but you're also one of the great philanthropists uh, in the world, which is, at the end of the day, even more impactful. You gave people a lot of enjoyment, but you're also now, uh, and have been for years, uh, working to improve and save people's uh, lives and particularly uh, uh, in your in your uh, your own country, um, talk about the Dikembe Mutombo Foundation and some of the work that that you've done, uh, which is extraordinary. Uh, the Dikembe Mutombo Foundation was created uh, back in 1997, which role was to improve the living condition of the people in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And our first mission was um, to build a hospital. Uh, which we did uh, in 2007. And we opened a Biamba Marie Mutombo Hospital that was uh, uh, opening in memory of my mother who died because he didn't make it to the hospital. Um, the hospital has been open. They have treated more than 200 and some plus thousand women and children in the last 12 years. But our second mission was to build a school. Uh, because I come from the family of an educator who was my father, Samuel Mutombo. 
And uh, I want to do something uh, to his memory. Um, That's the reason why um, uh, right now the foundation is in a mission to open the school in 2020-21. And we are breaking ground to Samuel Mutombo Institute of Science and Entrepreneurship to the village where my father came from, which is like 45 minutes away fly from the capital city. Um, and a place where there's a great deal of poverty. Deal of poverty, and there have not been no school built there since the 60s. Um, in the last 10 years, we see more than uh, 2 million young girls you have dropped out from school from eighth grade. Uh, so many of them are going to the early marriage. Uh, some of them are going to prostitution. Some of them are sent back to the agriculture to go work on the farm with their parents. So I want to save our young girls and boys. Um, I don't want our society to go back and live the way our parents did live. Because I remember my mom got married when she was 12. And so I think about it, you know. Uh, I have a beautiful daughter who's in the first year of law school at Georgetown. Um, I cannot imagine giving my daughter away at the age of 12, you know. I don't know what goes on to those parents to process that the time for the young girls like that to be giving away to a man. Um, so I want to change them. And I believe that we as human beings, no matter what part of society we come from, we have to have inside forces to be part of solving the problem in our society and be as a global citizen as we can and to becoming part of our community and taking the challenge that the community is facing, see how can we solve it with whatever means that we have. If we have a lot, we can solve as much as we can. If we have little, we solve it. Because someday the problem can be solved just by our participation. Some of them can be solved by the fortune that we have. So I think uh, God uh, put me in the right place, in the right position, especially with my voice and my height. I think I can use those tools that I have and to be a big advocate for some of the problems that our society is facing today, and that's why I'm doing it, David. The school that you uh, that you are breaking ground on yes. will be a K through 12, 12 grade. school, boys and girls. Yes. Uh, how many how many young people can will you be able to accommodate there? Uh, under forty kids, mm-hmm. and uh, they will be tuition free, and uh, we will um, we already got. I will not say that because it's a, but we already have a bunch of sponsorship uh, people who are willing to support the school in the years to come, which is great. Uh, uh, I'm very excited. You know, in life, one thing I learned that you want to embrace new challenge uh, that can push you, that can motivate you, that can wake you up, and that can make you move, uh, keep going forward. And I think uh, we have done a great job by building the Biamba Marie Mutombo Hospital, which is doing very well right now. Yeah. We, we, we thank everyone who have contributed and who have come to medical mission, who continue to fulfill more mission in Congo because we have so many American doctors who are going to Congo every three months to do operation. Matter of fact, uh, 
I'm taking a group of surgeons on, on Saturday to go to Congo uh, to go do their first heart surgery at the Mutombo Hospital. So which will be a big news around the world that at the Mutombo Hospital now they're doing heart surgery for free. So those are the things that I never thought that uh, me, Dikimi Mutombo, would be able to realize. You're doing... You're, you're doing more than you could have if you had uh, if you had been a foot shorter and been a doctor. Um, it's amazing that you play the game of basketball and you use the platform now to change so many lives around the globe. And um, I like to tell to all of our young people who are playing sport, don't just play sport because you love sport because people are cheering for you. Use that as a platform for you to make the world a better place. And you can do more by being an athlete. So uh, relative to the hospital, which also uh, serves uh, underserved uh, people, but just to some of the stats from from the Congo is uh, the life expectancy of, of men just uh, 47 years, women just 51. It went up a little bit, 47. It used to be 42. And you've lost three brothers yourself. Yes. And some of... In a young age, too. Yeah. I have um, one who died when he was 19. Uh, the other brother died in the mid-40. And um, my other brother... He died when I was coming to America. That would make him 30. Hmm. He died 31 years old. You were here. You One of your brothers was here with you. Yes. Uh, but one of your brothers died while you were a student here. Yes. One was and a you were separated from your family. And uh, he's the reason why uh, when I got a chance to make money after three years after his death, uh, and I went back home and took his kids to raise them to America. That's a challenge to come also. It's being a young brother and to be successful. <laughs> yeah. You, you've, you take, uh, you've got quite a few four family members under your, uh, under your wings there. Yeah. I adopt four kids. I raise uh, four nieces and nephew with mm-hmm. my beautiful wife. And uh, we have three kids at home. So we raised seven children. Yeah. So I kind of end up doing what my father did. Yeah, you got a big you got a big house going there. Um, but the, and in addition to the work that you and and by the way, just in terms of uh, of health challenges, there are disease challenges that this you've is, uh, that you've and dealt with. And we continue with. to face now. Well, right now, um, Congo's still going with the challenge of Ebola. Ebola has resurfaced. And measles, which is a uh, Miso have affected more than 400,000 kids right now as we are talking. And uh, Ebola have already uh, taken a life of more than uh, 2,200 people and um, so many people still in the treatment center. So there's a lot of work need to be done. Mm-hmm. And does, do, you do, uh, do you do work in terms of trying to get... Uh, yeah, I'm on the board of CDC Foundation, so not just because I'm on the board of CDC Foundation, but I'm also a big advocate about uh, people taking care of themselves, avoiding contact with those who are sick. Um, there's nothing like uh, speaking to the people, speaking to people with, to the language that they can understand. And um, 
I think CDC is uh, lucky and fortunate enough to have someone like me who can play the role of the ambassador for Ebola disease in Africa. And I can talk to my people and I can make them understand and make them understand why did I build the hospital mm-hmm. and why we need to work together as a community to stop this uh, deadly disease. Uh, what is happening that uh, we have... Our planet is so big, and uh, there's some places in our planet that human beings have not been yet. There's other animals who are still living in the forest that uh, the human beings don't know what kind of disease that they do carry. And uh, when we as a people go to the forest and trying to kill those animals and trying to eat them, we don't know what we're eating, and the cooking process is not really good when you're in a village, especially for those who don't have a lot of meat. They just cook the meat and they try to eat it when they still have some red blood on it. And I think that's how those diseases have been passed on. Yeah. And uh, we have to educate our community and our society, and uh, we still have a long way to go. It's... Um, uh the, the whole climate issue also is and, uh, hit Africa With the climate hard. changing, um, animals are getting closer to the people and people are getting close to the animals. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to face all the diseases in the future that we don't know about. Um, uh, there have been so many types of diseases in Africa now, especially when it comes to different type of fevers. Um that we still don't know as those people are being contaminated with those fevers. Because you don't have enough to do already, you're also, you've worked for a CARE, you've been a... a UNICEF, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk about some of the things that you've done through those roles. Um, I love to contribute. Um, I love to make a difference. I know that uh, as being a husband and a father that I am, it comes with a lot of responsibility in the house. But I always say, if I can excuse myself to be outside of my house, to take a trip to Africa for a week, to know that uh, we're going to save more lives. And I think my family do understand that. Um, somebody got to do it. Mm-hmm. That's where the question comes. I think uh, being blessed to have a wife and children that understand or uh, that is going to get, that is going to make a difference. So. Do you, uh, now, are your kids, you mentioned your daughter's going to law school. Are your kids, have, two have, you, have you, uh, have they taken up this notion of being? They go to some of the trip with me. Mm-hmm. Because I have to make sure that I'm passing the torch. And uh, I, do, I want my children to know that uh, it's good to live in this beautiful mansion, having a car and all of that. But, there's all the people there on the other side of the fence who are suffering more than us. What can we do for them? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how many thousand miles away they are, but we have to think about them. What can we do for them? And your kids get that? They get that. Yeah. We, uh, we take them all the way, all the way in the middle of nowhere. You're also a, a global ambassador for the NBA. Tell me, tell responsibility. Me, yeah, tell me what... <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, I'm not even going to ask you what you do in your free time. What What did you? What, tell me what you do in that role, and how much traveling do you do for that? Uh, my role is uh, to grow the game, 
and also to carry our mission, which is the MBA care, our social responsibility program that uh, to go out, uh, to go where our games are not being played, to know that uh, what kind of impact can we have in that community. So you what know? kinds of things does that, what does that mean? People think we just go and build a basketball court and uh, teach kids how to play basketball. No. We also go to the communities, understand the problem, what they're facing, and how can we improve their life. Either they need a learning center, MBA come with its partners, we offer the MBA as um, the learning center, or they need a school, the MBA will work with its partner, make sure they build a school. They need a basketball court, or there's a fight of disease in our community. MBA will come like with UNICEF, World Health Organization, make sure we distribute mosquito net, more children cannot die from malaria. If there's a disease, MBA will bring other partners, launch a campaign, raise money, and raise awareness. Because MBA, you have such a biggest platform than any sport in this world. So we like to use our platform to make sure that uh, we contribute to our community. You know, our players have been traveling across Africa, um, helping UNICEF and the Rotary International when it comes to polio vaccination. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing I know you've to done some great of work the places that, yeah. that we have been in the middle of nowhere in Africa. But our players take those challenges. No matter how much money do they make, but they love getting on a plane, not just myself, but I travel with um, the colleagues from the NBA and uh, all the active players. We go all around the globe. So I have to ask you, uh, because it's uh, an issue of the moment, um, there's been some disquiet with China, which has been a big market. Look, we're, 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 we're way into this uh, podcast before I ever got to it, so I yes. just want some credit for that, not jumping to this issue right away. But I have to ask you about it. Uh, everyone knows what, what happened. The, the general manager of the Houston Rockets tweeted in support of the people who were marching for democracy in Hong Kong. This infuriated the Chinese. They canceled... Uh, uh, the broadcast of some NBA games in China, and you know the commissioner, the the league initially uh, sort of rebuked uh, uh, Daryl Morey, the general manager. The commissioner then said, "We support free expression uh, for all our personnel," um, which the Chinese didn't like, uh, and it seems like kind of a a mess. We've seen different LeBron James chided the general manager. Now you've got all politicians jumping in. Uh, which politicians are tend to do. Uh, the vice president, uh, uh, you know, g- lectured the NBA on on its values. Uh, Charles Barkley, uh, as only he can, lectured the vice president on his values. Uh, it just seems like a, a a really difficult situation. How do you assess that? Because I, you know, you're a thoughtful guy. How do you sort all of this out? Uh, it's a very difficult time for the NBA, you know. Um, China's a big market. China is a big market, but in the same token, that um, uh, our sport of uh, basketball is such a great sport. We have grown globally right now. Uh, we have um, million, most close to I don't know, maybe close to a billion people now who are playing our games. Uh, who love the game of basketball. 
I think basketball, as much as our 12 as NBA Global Ambassador, I see our game is growing dramatically. And uh, we have to come to the point to understand that um, sports, you have a power to unify people. Sports, you have a power to unify the community. So whatever has been said, it got nothing to do with sport. It got nothing to do with the game that's been playing. But at the same time, I would say that David, I think this issue will solve by himself very sometime soon. It's just a question of time. And I think uh, we are just sitting in the heat of the moment right now. And I think time will come where um, both people, uh, including the American and the Chinese, will be unified for a good cause of the game because the game is such a wonderful game. And uh, everybody want to play it, everybody want to watch it, everybody want to enjoy it. Um, Have you heard from you? You're a mentor of sorts to Yao Ming. You play boy. play with him in uh, Houston. He's he's Mr. Basketball in and China. He's a commissioner. Has he uh, expressed himself to you on this? He's one of my closest friends in the life. Um, I've been a little bit hesitant about calling him, trying to know how he feel about this, um, because we are dealing we are dealing in a different culture and different. Um, climate. Uh, so you have to watch uh, what you say on the phone. Uh, so I'll wait until the thing comes down and I will reach out to him uh, as a friend, as a brother, and try to talk to him. <laughs> Do you think... Because you don't know who's listening. <laughs> exactly. Do you know... Uh, I, 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 I've been to China. I went with the president and I yes. even... Yeah, we had some interesting experiences over there. I, I don't want to throw you back into the middle uh, of this whole thing, but you said earlier a couple of things. One is uh, that you valued uh, the free expression that we have here in the United States. Uh, and um, uh, But the, in the same token, we also have to respect all the beliefs, all the people culture. Uh-huh. Um, but do you find yourself... Uh, do you have any sense of identification with the people since you came from a country where there wasn't free speech? Maybe I look at the thing speech, differently. But did, when you, since you came from a country where there wasn't free expression and where, you, yes. as you say, you could get thrown in jail for expressing yourself, do you find yourself identifying with those people in Hong Kong at all? Um, I spend a lot of time in Hong Kong. I go to Hong Kong at least twice a year. Uh, those are Wonderful people, I love them so much. Um, they're a different group of society. Maybe they don't want to hear the same value and believe what their parents did have or what their grandparents did. And uh, they're feeling like uh, 20 some years from now, they're, gonna, they're not going to be squeezing from what they've been practicing now. I think that's what we are seeing now with the young people. But it is. I think the leaders of the movement, one day they will meet with uh, the government and to discuss it. Because any problem in this world has always been solved. There's no problem that we have seen in our society you have last from generation to the generation. It might take 50 years, it might take 100 years, but the problem will always people will find the common ground to come together and to make sure that uh, there's a little bit of prosperity for the future generation. Because Let's, our generation, our children, will not live the life where they live. Mm-hmm. I'm not living the life my parents did live. Or my daughter is not living the life that uh, 
her grand her grandmother leave, which is getting married in a younger age or dropping off the school. So it will be always a change. You just came from the Obama Foundation. Yes. And I know you're friendly with uh, the former president. I also saw you last spring at the McCain Institute. Yes. Uh, and you're very close to, you were close to Senator McCain. To very close to the family. Cindy McCain, his wife and the family. Yeah. Um, tell me about your relationships with these leaders and what, what you learned from, from, from them. I admire every person who want to make our society a better place for our children. Senator McCabe was one of them. These are men who fought for the freedom for so many people, who want to see the change in this world, who want to make sure that our young people have a broader future than what we did here, who want to make sure that the world ends um, and President Obama is one of them. He inspiring all these young people. He said, if I could have becoming the president of the United States, you can becoming the president anywhere. You don't have to be the president of the country, but you can becoming the leader in your own community. And you can do something for yourself or for the world where you're living in. You need to believe in yourself. You need to be inspired by others, those who came before you. We have success, and you need to sit down with them, learn something, stop walking away. The world is not the same as we were yesterday. Our young people are facing a lot of challenges, David, with the opium crisis, uh, sex trafficking, um, war, um, terrorists. Those are the things when I was growing up, uh, we didn't know nobody about it. You know, I didn't worry about somebody kidnapping my sister when I was young. Because we walked to school. We were not afraid of it. Today, even in Africa, when you have a little daughter, you still have to think twice. With how far my daughter worked to go to class. Is she okay? Everywhere now. So we're becoming so protected to our own children than our parents did. Why the world is changing that? Why we need to take some measure to make sure that when we are not here tomorrow, that make sure that we leave this world to the better hands to our children than what we have funded. And uh, I love the, the Obama Foundation, what they're doing, uh, the changing that they are bringing, not just in the city of Chicago, but to all the young people around the globe to inspire them, to lift them, to know that the future belongs to them. Because our children are losing hope every day. They are losing hope. And it's up to we as an adult to know that what are we doing for them. You know, you and I was talking earlier, and we talk about uh, what President Kennedy said yes. in the 60s when he gave his speech that don't think about what America will do to you, but think about what you can do for the United States of America. Mm-hmm. What are we thinking about what can we do for the United States of America? We as a people. Because... Mm-hmm. What makes the United States of America is the people. It's not the government. Yes. We the people are the one who form the government. Because those leaders who are in the power, we can let them go tomorrow. Because we are the people are the one who have that will. Uh, let me just ask you um, about, uh, and I know we're running out of time here, but um, President Trump has had some harsh words for Senator McCain, for President Obama as well, but... Um, 
you must have taken some umbrage at that. <laughs> it's a good question. That question, I always say no comment. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. You're a, because you... uh, I am the friend of the McCain as a family, despite uh, my, my political differences with him. Uh, but we all did believe in the same thing uh, of freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, to make the world a better place. That is a, it's a good place to end. I will say, I, when I asked you that question, you, about what President Trump said about Senator McCain, I feel like you may have been wagging a finger in my face, <laughs> uh, which I understand. Dikembe Mutombo, you are, uh, you are a heroic figure, not just uh, your sports, uh, your, your sports accomplishments are in some ways the least of it, what you're doing uh, as a global citizen and as a leader are things we can all deeply admire. So thank you for that. Thank you for being here. Thank you for all you've done and for all you're going to do in the future. Thank you for having me. You know, I don't come to Chicago as much as I do, but uh, whenever we got a call that uh, you would love me to come here at the university, and I felt like it was a privilege for me to come in. I'm well, glad that... Uh, we appreciate it, and we're going to try and get you out of here before the snow arrives. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, David. Thank you for listening to The Axe Files, brought to you by the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN Audio. The executive producer of The Axe Files is Emily Stanitz. The show is also produced by Miriam Annenberg, Samantha Neal, and Allison Siegel. And special thanks to our partners at CNN, including Courtney Coop, Megan Marcus, and Ashley Lusk. For more programming from the IOP, visit politics.uchicago.edu. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.